Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we are discussing The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 6, The Tragedy. All that and more with Riki Hayashi and Paul Hoppy. Right after this commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. As I said, I'm Matthew. I'm joined today by two people who have both been regular um, co-hosts on this and my other podcast, but not gotten to be together. So I'm really excited to um, have the three of us talk about what was not a boring episode. Uh, <laughs> quite a lot happened. So, um, Ricky, Paul, how are you guys doing today? Well, I'll go first. Uh, I'm having a good evening. I was just doing some research for some other Star Wars stuff, and I'm excited to be here talking about The Mandalorian. Awesome. Awesome. Me- me too. I'm uh, I'm excited to first of all to to be on the episode with Riki. Um, second of all to uh, talk about this episode directed by my favorite action director. I think since I've ever had a favorite action director, <laughs> Robert Rodriguez. Nice, nice. Yeah, I I don't think I have a favorite necessarily, but I've mm. certainly loved mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff. And um, Paul actually, we, we had a quick discussion about whether letting someone know the director of an episode is a spoiler. <laughs> yes, we um, did. <laughs> So, so why were you so excited at the end of this episode to see that he directed it? Because, uh, I mean, so the episode's basically 27 minutes in terms of actual content, right? I, yeah. I think the runtime's 33 minutes, but there's the lead-in. There's, yeah, it's very short, right? I, I actually have a lot to say about the length, and I, I like the length of this episode mm-hmm. and the Mandalorian episodes in general. I think there's good um, reason for it. But the whole episode felt like, uh, at point, at points contrived set up for like the best set piece and action that they've done in the series to me. Um, and then at the end, it was like directed by Robert Rodriguez. And I'm like, of course, of course it's directed <laughs> by Robert Rodriguez. Okay. And just to fill folks in, what else has he done? Uh, that people have probably seen. Um, um, hang, hang on. Here, here's oh, yeah. the test. Okay. Before we go down the list, <laughs> do you prefer, I mean, these are two of his movies, but do you prefer Desperado or yes. Mariachi? <laughs> um desperado i i haven't okay. seen el mariachi as many times as i would like um for a while it was on like crackle or something but i i never owned it i owned desperado i think in like multiple formats uh mm-hmm. that that was the movie i saw first and then went back and saw el mariachi um i mean el mariachi is the more impressive achievement right he did it on like a it was like a 5k or 7k budget or something and it grossed yeah. like two million dollars and he just He's such an efficient director, I think, because he grew up with, like, not enough money to buy a ton of film. So he's just this unique filmmaker who, um, like, started off shooting everything, like, holding the camera, right? Um, doing all the, the writing, the choreography, the editing, uh, even scoring some of his own films. So here, uh, he, you know, I don't think he did the writing or the editing or the cinematography. So he was basically just directing. But I just really like his approach. I think it's always innovative. Uh, it's very creative. Everything is like this episode. Everything's bright. There's a ton of action, but you can always see what's going on. And yeah. I'd say my biggest <clears throat> critique of modern action is that a lot of times it feels like they're just trying to kind of evoke an emotion and be like, yeah, there's, there's stuff going on and it's fast and exciting, but it's like, you're looking at it like what's, I don't actually understand physically what these people are doing. Um, and with Robert Rodriguez, I always feel like I have a very clear idea of physically what is happening in the action. 
So he also did one of the Planet Terror features, right? Uh, with uh-huh. Quentin Tarantino. Which, which yes. half did he do? Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, or I've said Grindhouse. Grindhouse, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. He he did the one with the the, the machine gun leg. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The zombie part. Yeah, and then he did one of the scenes in Four Rooms. Um, from Dusk Till Dawn to me is like the ultimate like oh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino course, team up yeah. where the the first half of the movie just feels like a weird Tarantino film and then the second half is just like a Robert Rodriguez vampire action movie. With Selma Hayek dancing with a snake as the transition between the two. Pretty exactly. Much. Like, <laughs> yes. The movie just changes that that moment stuck out in, in your mind. <laughs> well, it, it, to me, that's the transition between the it two. Is. But, it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think you make some great points there. Um. For me, especially, I liked how bright it was compared to last episode, mm-hmm. where if I, I I agree with you. I can't stand a lot of the time the like Batman vs Superman does a ton of this. You know, it's all very oh, dark, yeah, yeah. and you're seeing the punches, and you get the feeling of it, mm-hmm. but you don't really know what's going on. Right. And last episode, I think, is one of the best examples of when that can be really good, where you don't quite know what's going on. Because you're trying to understand the sense of utter terror that Ahsoka is invoking by being mm-hmm. so badass. Yeah. Um, Although I would say actually in that episode, I had a pretty clear sense of going what's, what was going on, which is rare for something that's lit in that, that kind of darker fashion. That's also fair. But yeah, it was it was a really nice uh, change in this one. So the, the action sequences in this movie really evoked a sense of war movies for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, to the point where you know the stormtroopers. Usually, we revel in the incompetence of them, their inability to hit things. Uh, right. But in this case, we got to see their incompetence and just strategy. Like they were just very yes. bad. Yeah, and the the whole idea of like landing one group of them and then the second group <laughs> yes, of them. I said that. <laughs> I was like, like, why is the second ship so far behind? <laughs> exactly. Like, like the first group got there and it felt like they're like four to ten. And then they just kept coming out of the thing. And I'm like, they just keep coming in waves. And then the second one came and I'm like, oh, no. But then I'm like, wait, why didn't they all come at the same time? There was one moment that I thought just perfectly captured this where the one of the commanders, it seemed like there was a couple of like squad commanders, mm-hmm. is saying to one of his other people, like, you know, go flank them, go flank them. <laughs> right. And and the guy's saying a protest, no, I can't do that. There's too much fire. He's like, no, just go, go, you'll yeah. be fine. And the guy stands <laughs> up to go and is immediately shot dead. Immediately. <laughs> too too much fire from one individual. Right? Mm-hmm. That was that was also the thing. Yeah, yeah. Well and um, so let's but, talk- yeah. Oh go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it was very much kind of the, the desperado theme of like, you know, one one person with a gun being able to shoot like 20 people. Um, yeah. it, it also reminded me a little bit of the like extended um, Fellowship of the Ring scene where Legolas just like shoots like 20 orcs or like oh, 10 gosh. in a row with his, you know. Um, and then Ming-Na Wen also had a shot where she's running and then she's jumping backwards and shooting people, which was like straight out of Desperado, right after yes, she had a boulder yes, thing that was straight oh out goodness. of uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. By the way, if anyone uh, doesn't know the movie we're talking about, Desperado, definitely mm. go see it. Um, one of the first ever episodes of Superhero Ethics, Paul and I did about that. And we, we basically decided that um, mariachi gunslinging is basically a superpower. Yeah, in that clearly, movie. So clearly. That's, that's why yeah, we did it's, it. it's amazing. Like, the El Mariachi is also good, but it's, like you said, it's low budget. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. doesn't have like the big explosions and stuff 
Yeah, the the jumping off of the roof that's exploding while shooting someone. Yeah, 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 that's wow, <laughs> so good. Can't believe I missed that. <laughs> yeah, obviously one of the things that people are really talking about is not only that we had this great action scene, but we had two uh, <sighs> pretty important characters come back, or in one case, really show up for the first time, te- te- except yeah. for one technical. Co- come back thirty-seven years later. Basically. Yeah, um, Boba Fett. For five, Boba Fett. Five seconds. Where? <laughs> well, so which one do we want to talk about? Because I know we had uh, Paul. You've been talking a lot about Ming Na Wen not being around until now. Um, but obviously, let, let's go with her first. Actually, um, Paul, you, you've complained that she was so underused. What did you think of the way we finally got her back? Um, I liked it. So first of all, first, first, just a moment with spoilers. Um, the very first shot of the recap being oh, like God. Boba Fett like poking her. It's like okay, I guess they're both showing up in this episode, and she's not dead. Um, which I know you would constantly, you and, and Jeff, I remember being like, oh, I think she's going to come back. I think she's going to come back. And I don't know whether there was any casting thing that you'd heard about, but I find it really weird that, like, I didn't know Robert Rodriguez was um, directing this episode. I didn't know that Ming-Na Wen was going to be in this season, partially because I'd looked at her IMDb page and there was only the credit from season one. And, and often credits will kind of get leaked ahead of time right right so and then i know uh paul sun hyung kim also like didn't tell anyone until his episode aired um which was kind of awesome like someone was like oh i think i saw appa and he's like that was me (laughs) (laughs) and you know so i think they've like got their casting and things like this kind of under wraps it's possible that i'm just like super not tuned into stuff because i try not to be but um but it's just weird to me that it's like it feels like there aren't all these spoilers out in media ahead of time, but then it's like the tragedy, the Jedi, <laughs> like yeah. here's a pre-roll. That's like everything that's going to happen in this episode. The episode titles do feel a bit spoilery for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's like, it's, I guess it's, something bad's going to happen. The episode titles are bad with Mandalorian. The pre-roll is, this is a complaint I have about a lot of shows these days. Yeah, me too. Where, you know, a character who you haven't cared about for three seasons or what, you know, 10 episodes all of a sudden shows up in the pre-roll. It loses mm-hmm. any of the surprise factor of them coming back. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I had not heard anything about Migna Wen um, coming back. Uh, her character's Fennec. Um, it was mostly just that I remember at there's that scene at the end of her appearance in season one, I think in episode five, uh, mm-hmm. possibly six. I'm bad at the numbers. It was five. Five, five. yeah. Where we see someone coming up to her body. And I think that, for me, more than anything else, that was why I thought she was going to come back in season two at some point. Um, Also because she's such a great actress with such a great pedigree that the fact that she hadn't gotten to do much in that episode felt like, of course, they're going to bring her back. Right, right. It felt like a waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had no no idea she was coming back this this episode. I loved it. So, yeah, her pedigree, she was also in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Recurring character. Agent May. Yeah, she was one of the stars of that. Oh. And Street Fighter, the movie. Oh, yeah. Chun-Li, of course. <laughs> I think it was Chun-Li, right? And she was in Mulan, the original animated Mulan. That's right. Right. Uh, as the, Wasn't she as in the title a... character. Mm-hmm. Wasn't she, she in was Crouching Mulan. Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Or am I thinking Michelle Yeoh? That's... So, I think that was Michelle Yeoh, because yeah. that okay. was a long time ago. That's true. That's true. Although, I mean, Ming-Na Wen was, was active then as an actress, but I don't think she was in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's certainly possible. And you mentioned her character. Her name, the character name is Fennec, uh, and her last name is Shand. Which I got, I got real confused because we are also watching The Crown, 
We've gotten to the yes. season with Camilla, now Parker Bowles, but her maiden name was Shan. And I was like, yes. wait, what? So, funny coincidence, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Ricky, what about for you? Was that a character you had been excited to see come back? I, You know, I did not... I guess I didn't really, like, consider her character that great in her first appearance. So, mm-hmm. I wasn't, like, waiting for her to come back. I was much more excited about the other character we're going to get to, or we can get to right now. I don't know. Definitely. Uh, yeah, did I'm... someone else show up and make a big deal? <laughs> was that a thing here? Was... Well, I mean, so the the scene you referenced in season one, where Fennec is lying on the ground, and then someone's boots walk up and right. you only see their boots, fans quickly figured out that that was Boba Fett. At the time, yeah. which is like based on the, the color of the boots or something <laughs> like that. Well, also, it's like some like shadowy figure on Tatooine. And like since the 80s, everyone's been like Boba Fett had to survive, right? He was <laughs> wearing Mandalorian battle armor. Like, yeah. And then we saw him stalking about, I think, in episode one when mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Mandalorian recovered his armor from the marshal. Yeah. And now... Here he is. He he showed like Slave One came flying down to this planet, and I got excited again because I am a fan and I love stuff like that. You know that you recognize and it just evokes so much yeah. emotion just seeing that ship. It's yeah, like the most iconic ship outside of the Enterprise, I feel, <laughs> or like the Millennium Falcon or something. I'd say so. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I had a toy of it when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and I. I don't think I ever quite got into the Boba Fettness that so many others did, but just that ship meant so much to me, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think seeing it, it, it was such a great way to bring his character in. And and so what do we think of uh, the way his character played out? Because I admit, it, this was not what I expected from his character. Um, no, him coming in and being, um, A, our hero kind of recognizing him as a fellow Mandalorian by the end, but also them teaming up. Um, what, how, what was your take on this kind of the plot line that, that developed for us? I'm a little confused, quite frankly. Like, he's been on Tatooine for these last few years. So, so to go back, in Return of the Jedi, he got swallowed by the Sarlacc. And that's, mm-hmm. in canon, the last we see of him. There's a lot of, yeah. like, comic books and novels and stuff about him escaping and having more adventures after that. But in terms of movie canon, that was it. So now we are creating a new canon around Boba Fett supposedly he escaped from the sarlacc i'm sure he'll explain it to us lost his armor <laughs> for whatever reason they got yeah like up we by don't the know how that happened right right um yeah and he's just been hanging out for who knows how long i mean the sarlacc takes a thousand years to digest uh someone <laughs> so we don't know like if he got out immediately or if he just got out recently right was he in there a couple weeks yeah. like <laughs> I mean, certainly his face is very scarred up, and we, have, yeah. we haven't seen his face. Um, I, I think the last time we, we saw Boba Fett appear was as a kid in Clone Wars, mm-hmm. where he does a couple of like missions with pirates and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we've ever seen him as an adult um, outside of Empire and Return. Am I correct? Yeah. And, 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 and A New Hope when they redid it. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. Well, when Han steps on Jabba's tail and calls him a wonderful human being, <laughs> the less said about that scene, the better. 
that maybe one of my I th- I think other than Han shooting first, that may be my least favorite addition to oh, all of the yeah. uh, the original yeah. movies. And I, so I, he, here yeah. he is uh he's being portrayed by Timora Morrison, right, who played Django yeah. Fett and the, all the clones because they're clones mm-hmm. of Django in the prequel trilogy. And yeah. Timora ended up um, re-recording all of all four lines of Boba Fett dialogue in the oh, original really? trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you not Did you not know that? Oh. <laughs> wait, he Oh, I did not know that. So So it was obviously someone else originally. Yeah. And then because he's a clone, they're like, oh, he should probably sound the same. Uh, and, and he's got that uh, New Zealand, I believe, accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a uh, Maori, I believe, the indigenous people of New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my favorite things to mock about the re-release <laughs> trilogy. Is put Captain yeah. Solo on the Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I will say I was very surprised because... I was looking forward to what was going to happen with Boba Fett coming back. I was not very impressed by that actor when he appeared in as Django in the second movie, Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the writing and directing <laughs> made even someone like Natalie Portman, who I think of as a very good actress, real, real bad. Yeah, I was so, going to say, who were you impressed by in that yeah. movie? Ian McDermott. Um, yeah, okay. there you go. Okay. But so so I, I, I wasn't really... I was I was I went in with very low expectations. Mm-hmm. I really loved his acting performance. I thought he did a very yeah, good job of not being the character who I thought because I thought for sure he's going to be an antagonist. You know, we've always only seen him as a bad guy, someone who was. I mean, you know, he's responsible for catching Han Solo, our hero. He right. works with the Empire. He helped. He was a big part of helping Luke get captured. And so I wasn't ready for him to kind of be just a workaday guy trying to get that great line he says um i'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy as was my father before me like my father before me which is like exactly the phrase in uh return of the jedi right oh i hadn't even caught that that's so cool similarly in the previous one um ahsoka says go to the planet tython there you will find and you know blah 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 yeah go to the planet dagobah (laughs) or oh go to the dagobah system there you will find your but it's like they're they're definitely very deliberately phrasing things exactly like things have been phrased before. That's kind of cool. <clears throat> but yeah, I, I definitely was really impressed with, with his acting and with the role that he winds up playing. And mm-hmm. you know, granted, I'm a simple man making my way through the galaxy like my father. It leaves out, you know, my father was responsible for the DNA that caused, <laughs> you know, 10 million soldiers in one of the craziest wars in galactic history. Right, but right. Putting that aside. Put that aside. You know... <laughs> I really believed him as someone who had been active in this part of the war and, and, you know, maybe we're like, okay, that's not really the greatest thing that you're doing. But honestly, from the Mando's perspective, like they're both bounty hunters. They're hunting down the people they have chits for. Exactly. And, and so I, I, I like them teaming up much more than I thought I would have. Mm-hmm. It seemed very logical to me. Like they both are wearing Mandalorian armor, you know, they, both are bounty hunters or were or whatever, you know, and, um, and, and it does seem like, you know, Boba Fett has this sense of honor where he's like, no, this is the deal. We're going to, you know, right. It's not like this is the way, cause I guess he's not exactly Mandalorian. Right. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really liked it. I thought it made a lot of sense actually. Right. Well, as I understand it, uh, like the whole thing about the way, and we'll talk about this more when we do a, a primer episode specifically on the Mandalorians 
what we've learned so far is that that's only a one particular offshoot of Mandalorians. This, the Children mm-hmm. of the Watch. Um, right. I think in some ways, Boba, Jango and Boba Fett might be closer to being like traditional from the planet Mandalorians than anyone else. Um, m- more like Bo-Katan than our hero, the Mando. Right, um, but he said he was a foundling, right? He was like, your father yeah. was a foundling. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that suggests that Jango Fett is not, uh, I guess, racially or ethnically Mandalorian. Right. Well, if that group is the only one that uses the term foundling. Mm-hmm. Have we heard right. the Mandalorians yeah, use the term foundling in Clone Wars or Rebels? I don't think so. I don't no. either. I don't think so. It's all definitely very confusing. As far yes. as I can, I mean, I'm just getting into Rebels where there's more Mandalorian stuff and I'm like, uh, okay, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like trying to put it all together is, is very, is, is pretty challenging. Right. I look forward to the Primer episode. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. To me, what I really liked about it is, I think I've said before, I wanted to see more of Mando wrestling with Bo-Katan and her compatriots basically challenging everything he knew about his own identity. Mm-hmm. And I like that we got some of that here and that in him recognizing, like, this guy takes off his helmet, he does things the other the ways I don't, but I recognize him as a fellow Mandalorian. I, I really want to see more of him figuring this out, you know, and more of yeah. him coming to terms with, do you have to follow the way as I do in order to be a Mandalorian, or what does that mean? Right. I feel like that's more likely to be a like multiple seasons long, very slow developing arc mm-hmm. than like a this season, what's going on kind of thing. Yeah, I'm... for for sure. I agree with that. Like there's a lot of stuff in this show that feels like it is planning for next season or even several seasons ahead. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think the Mandalorian identity crisis is something for the future where he may have to decide right between this group that he has grown up with and maybe the, the mainline Mandalorians at some point. Right. I know that they are also planning a couple of new movies. And, and one theory that I'm working on is that a lot of this might well be stuff that we get to, that gets developed in later movies. I'm sorry, in, in the rest of the show, but it may also be that part of what they're doing is kind of planting the seeds for all the different plot lines that are going to happen. In, like, that we may get a movie about Bo-Katan and Ahsoka trying to, like, deal with what's happening in Mandalore with some involvement mm. here. Or we might get a movie of, you know, one of these other plot lines that's developing. Right. Yeah, that seems possible. I'd, I'd watch anything with Ahsoka in it, honestly. <laughs> so, I'm down for that. So, let's talk a little bit more about the action in this episode because there was a lot of it and I, I'm I was a little shocked at how Boba Fett easily defeated stormtroopers with what looks like a weed whacker. Yeah, I, I think it is um it's it's a gaffy stick. It's one of the yeah. things that um, okay. it's a weapon was... used by the uh Tuscan Raiders. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Based so... on a Fijian weapon, the Totokia or something, I think. Mm. I thought it had really great choreography going on with that. Was was we- Weed Whacker right there a reference to Machete? No. I mean, oh, that's because just what it looked another, like. Okay, another uh, Robert Rodriguez movie, Machete, the title character, Machete, uh, he takes a Weed Whacker and like, beats these guys up with it. <laughs> Such a good movie. In, in hilarious movie. fashion. <laughs> well, it was this was kind of hilarious to me because I've ne- I don't think I've ever seen Stormtrooper armor get smashed open right like that yeah 
So mm-hmm. it was very surprising. And I actually wondered out loud if Boba Fett himself had some kind of enhancements, like cybernetic oh. enhancements. Sure. I, I mean, I did write in my notes yeah. that armor stops nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, what is it for? If teddy bears with rocks can damage people in that armor, it's really not very good. I think it's paper mache. <laughs> and they, yeah. get, they get shot. They get shot in like the shoulder and go down. Yeah, and they just go down. And they're out for yeah. the rest of the fight, right? Like, yeah, if you yeah. are a soldier and you get shot in the so- sh- uh, shot in the sh- shoulder, like hard you to say. would <laughs> you would keep fighting, right? Like that's your job, or you would try to escape, but you wouldn't just like lie down for the rest of the fight. Well, and so I want to hear you two talk more about the fight because I, I'm not – I enjoy fight scenes. They're definitely not my favorite. I thought there was very good parts of this. Frankly, I thought it went too long, but I think I'm very much in the minority there. I think um, so. But we, a couple of our fans actually wrote in and said that they were really looking forward to us talking about the fight scenes, especially because I know uh, – someone pointed out that uh, because a couple of people, uh, Paul especially, I know, uh, are martial artists. Um, Ricky, I think I remember you saying something about you studying martial arts at some point. I might be completely misremembering that. Um, okay, well, um, but for for either of you, then, what what was it about this action scene that you liked so much? Uh, personally, I really like the variety. Um, like one of my favorite action movies is The Avengers, and one of the reasons I like The Avengers so much is because out of the main characters, they all have very different fighting styles, right? And so here we had you know three. Um, three characters, right? Sort of on one team against Infinity. Right. Um, you know, uh, Manito with Kampa and Kino. And uh, <laughs> so it felt very much like that scene out of Desperado too. Yes. Um, but, you know, so Fennec is a sharpshooter, right? She's She's got a rifle and, or whether it's a sniper rifle exactly, I, you know, I don't know all the model numbers or whatever, but, you know, she's shooting people from a distance and so is Boba Fett at first. And then they transition to more of a hand like blasters. Then there's a whole bunch of melee combat and it actually manages to be similar to sort of the way Ahsoka was kind of like ducking in and out of the shadows. Here it's bright daylight, but there's all these boulders. It's this very interesting terrain. Right. Mm. And, and I think the terrain being interesting makes it way more um, compelling as a fight scene. You know, you have the boulder thing. You have Fennec jumping backwards and shooting at people. Um, you know, you have her and Mando like back to back and basically his armor repelling all of oh, the yeah. shots while, you know, um, and protecting her so she can shoot. And um, and then you have Boba Fett sort of disappear, and I'm like, he's totally going to get his armor. And then he comes back in on his jetpack, and he's like, you know, just using all the different things in in his armor, all the different weaponry. And then, you know, shooting at the, the ships and shooting them out of the sky with the rockets on his um, <laughs> back. And it, it just, it's the variety, right? It's not repetitive the way a lot of action sequences are. And... I think you can have something go longer if you actually have that kind of variety and it can remain compelling. Whereas, um, and the, the choreography just, I think is so good. And it's, it's not just the choreography, but it's like the camera choreography, right? It's like, what angle do I want to shoot this from? As opposed to just like, we're just going to show out everything or we're just going to have it be a confusing angle. It's like interesting angles, but not confusing, interesting angles. Yeah. I, Sorry, I was laughing because you mentioned the rocket 
And the Mandalorian <laughs> backpack rocket is one of my favorite things because of how dorky they look when they fire them. Because they have to like bend <laughs> they over. Do. They bend over at the waist. <laughs> it's like, why would you? Why would you have to do that in the middle of a battle? Why would you design something like that? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, and, and yeah. I and I think it's just a function of like that was the original costume design of Boba Fett. <laughs> And, yeah. and like we we watched a documentary on the Star Wars toys, and the original I think the original Boba Fett toy was recalled because that like rocket shot out and it was like a hazard. Oh no! <laughs> like you'll put your eye out with that. <laughs> That's great. I, I, yeah, the seeing Boba Fett in the armor was awesome, and I'm glad they found a way to do it. I do have in my notes, Mando. Remember the Jawas? Why the hell aren't you locking your ship? <laughs> Like, oh. I, yeah, he didn't even yeah. close the door. Yeah, it was, like, it was just a moment of like, okay, the fact that Boba Fett was able to leave the fight, go to the ship, find his armor, get back in time, is ridiculously contrived and dumb. But who cares? It looks great, you know. Which yeah. to me is also incredibly Robert Rodriguez. It's like, super, super Robert Rodriguez. I mean, that said, this was written by John Favreau, but we don't know how much Robert Rodriguez was like, oh, how about we do this? How about we do this? You know, in terms of the action. But I, I also just love that, like, Boba Fett, like, comes back with his entry, you know, his armor on. He's awesome. And the troopers, like, one of the first times I've seen it, they're just like, fuck this. And yeah, they just done. flee. <laughs> they're just gone, you know? Which is interesting, because I think part of what they've established is... I both hope this doesn't happen, but I imagine at some point it's going to have to. If Jin, our, our hero, and Boba Fett, you know, go toe-to-toe, my money's probably on Boba Fett right now. I mean, we're, hmm. like, I don't think we've seen Jin be that kind of effective as a hand-to-hand combatant. He's been pretty good, but I feel like this, what Boba Fett did was really above and beyond. Boba Fett feels more skilled to me, for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that the the kind of end of that scene when the Razor Crest gets blown up, like, we're watching it and Lee's like, the tragedy! Because <laughs> <laughs> we've been joking about the episode title. Yeah. Well, I thought that was a bad move because they've got a tracking device on that thing. Exactly. So why would you just, like, waste that? If you're going to blow up one of the two ships parked there, why not blow up slave mm. one and force right. them to use the ship that you have a tracking device on that yeah. seems more logical yeah i i did though i was i i was definitely very surprised when i saw that i thought that was a really nice what you said about repetitive makes sense to me especially mm-hmm. in that if there's a fight scene in every episode and in every episode our heroes basically get away okay that mm-hmm. will start to feel very repetitive and so I mean, this fight, obviously, part of the point was that new things are happening. And part of that is that new characters are showing up. But also the fact that the Razor... I mean, and then we get to the real tragedy. But even before that, when the Razor Crest blew up, like I was like, okay, here are the stakes. You know, something has fundamentally changed now. This fight is going much worse. And I loved that moment. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. Especially the whole thing of like just seeing the laser beam like coming down from space and wondering what's it aiming at. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the things I enjoyed in this fight um, was the the use of the terrain, like Paul was talking about, but specifically the boulder scene, where Mm. um, Fennec notices that some of the shots have loosened a boulder, and she Mm -hmm. she does the, uh, 
leans back against a rock and pushes her feet against it to push it down the, this hill. Because, A, that's, that's what we like to see our protagonists do, right? Is find innovative ways to defeat the mass army that's coming at right. them. But then we also get the classic, the, the mass army is just bad at their job. Because they all get run over. They're like running away from it, like in a straight line instead of jumping to the side. I was like, jump to the side. That poor idiot behind the cannon who thinks the cannon can like blow up the rock enough so that he's like, I'm going to keep trying to do this instead of jumping out of the way. Right, exactly. It's like maybe maybe move side to side instead of just. It's such a classic trope, though, like in in any kind of scene like this where it features a a hill, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was well done, and especially that she had to go on the move because that, I mean, it was not going to destroy the rock enough to stop the cannon from getting run over, but clearly that big cannon was chipping away at the rocks, and I like that Fennec yeah. realizes that she can't just keep hiding behind the rock because they're going to blow it to smithereens eventually. Right, exactly. And I, I like that the fact, you know, that their shots were doing something to the terrain, that it wasn't, she was like, oh, here's a boulder, let me push it over. It was like, they shot it, it got loose, she's like, oh, that's loose, why don't I roll that at them? Right. The one thing I wasn't really clear on is, what's the connection between her and Boba Fett? Is that because Boba Fett saved her life? That, that was what pretty sure. was implied, yeah. Because yeah. she okay. showed, like, the cybernetic stomach implants, mm-hmm. so she had been stabbed or shot in the in the episode yeah right so he found like i don't understand how that works at all (laughs) yeah look sometimes your intestines get rebuilt in totally new ways sure yeah hey whatever works it's a little garbage disposal installed instead Mm -hmm. um so uh, anything else on the fight or we don't talk about some of the other stuff that happened at the beginning and end of the episode um i have oh no go ahead i mean like continuation of the fight but it, it kind of like in classic Voltron fashion, like once your ground troops are defeated, you send in the, the big guns, right, in mm-hmm. waves instead of just sending everything at once. Uh, right after the stormtroopers retreat, um, we get the the dark troopers for the first right. time in live action. I believe this was like something from uh, video games, video game lore mm-hmm. originally. And I was confused because I thought, I previously thought and maybe said that Dark Troopers were like Stormtroopers with Force sensitivity, but doing some research, like, they've always been droids, and that's confusing to me because we've had, now that we've had the prequels, we've had droids, so it's like, why is the Empire kind of going backwards or doing that? Right, because, I mean, they still everyone's still using droids, although the Empire uses them much less. Um, but yeah, I don't think they've really had battle droids uh, in the Empire to that same extent. That being said, I think in this period of it being kind of in the middle of things, part of my sense is that Moff Gideon and the rest of the people rebuilding the Empire may just be kind of, um, you know, picking up whatever loose scraps they can find. And so mm. there may just still be some droids left over from the clone wars or something like that that they uncovered or unpacked and uh, by the time the empire becomes you know the empire writ large they don't need that kind of thing and but so here they're kind of just using whatever works whatever they can find yeah but they're also there i will say that they are more advanced than our previous roger roger friends mm-hmm. <laughs> You, even bit. even better, I would say, than the the super battle droids, um, 
because they like first off they fly they fly now right. they fly now yeah. <laughs> um and then yeah they just seem they seem more armored and possibly armed mm-hmm. uh, we don't really see them in action they just they fly down they pick up grogu they fly away um but yeah that's that's like a thing now that they're adding to the canon from other right. other other source material and certainly the fact that they are in some of the source material uh force sensitive and that in um you know and that Moff Gideon is trying to make things force sensitive i think there may be a connection there although given all that they've st- cuz we know that those are droids right that was certainly my impression watching it it definitely seems that way yeah but i mean maybe it's like half a person inside i mean Oh, I mean, maybe actually, maybe that's a connection with um, Fennec, showing that like you can still be a person with a lot of cybernetic, right? Because certainly, I don't think we have any evidence that a non-sentient living being, or I should say that wrong, a, a droid is sentient certainly, but that a mechanical being, I don't think, is connected to the Force by the by the lore that we have. So I think the idea of a droid that's Force sensitive would not make any sense. Mm. Um, yeah, although I feel like it should, but you know. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a whole very interesting question that <laughs> I don't know if uh, we're here for that yet. But definitely, I I found the question: Have the dark troopers been engaged? Like such a weird question. Like, wh- wouldn't you just be like engage the dark troopers or like? I it, it's it seems very odd to me. You know mm-hmm. that like Moff Gideon didn't know yet whether the you know. It's like, did does he delegate that much? It makes me feel like he's a little bit sort of out of touch as a, um, I don't know, moff or as as a commander or whatever. Yeah, but, he, may, uh, he may just give the order, do this without like micromanaging the whole thing. Right, and um, yeah, I did think that they were fairly terrifying looking. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. oh, those aren't going to be easy to stop. Um, you know, but it, it feels a little like Iron Legion, Age of Ultron, also. Yeah, just like these these you know basically you know humanoid robots coming down like from the sky and then going back up and given that we've established that mando has you know these horrible uh traumatic memories of the droids that that killed his family when he was young yeah i i think if those become a regular feature we're definitely gonna like if mando has to go up against them in some way like that that he's gonna have to really overcome some of that fear and terror from his past yeah that's a really good point um so backing up, let's get to the tragedy, but I think we should set the, the, the tone for that a bit first. At the beginning, we have just this very small little moment that's just a few minutes, um, but of Mando playing with um, Grogu, Baby yeah. Yoda, uh, and and not teaching him the Force, but encouraging him to use his Force abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I found that scene really touching. I, I really liked it as a, you know, seeing Grogu go, grow seeing Mando like start to more understand it. But also you could tell, and again, this is just the incredible acting of Pedro, uh, Pablo Pascal, Pedro Pascal, Pedro Pascal. Thank you. Um, the incredible acting of Pedro Pascal that without barely saying anything, I got such a strong sense that he is really not looking forward to having to hand this kid over and not be part of Goku's life anymore going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of funny, kind of memes going around about what the Mandalorian is as a show. And one of them is that it's a show about a a single father going around trying to find health care or child care for his son. (laughs) I like that one a lot. And so, yeah, getting these scenes like that 
is part of what people love about this show. Like it's a very small part uh, in, in the scheme of things, but people love that. And then, you know, the other, the other thing they say is that he's just like a side character in this intergalactic struggle. And he like, just kind of keeps showing up and doing things and maybe like kind of Homer Simpsoning and accidentally saving the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern point I made yeah. last episode. Yeah. You know, we're, we're getting to see the big events, but, but through his eyes, which I'm loving. Yeah, I thought it was a great moment at the beginning. Um, it really sets the stakes, you know, like why we care when when Grogu gets kidnapped. Um, also, I felt like, you know, when he's talking to him, oh, you've got to, I've got to re- take you back to your people so you can, you know, learn this Jedi stuff. Like, it seems like, well, does Grogu necessarily want to or need to learn more Jedi stuff? Like, he mm-hmm. can, right? But it's... You know, does he have to go off with the Jedi? Like, I think he doesn't. And, I mean, that's some of the, um, you know, sort of the the question about the Jedi themselves in, in the original, not the original trilogy, the, the prequel trilogy. And before then, you know, like the actual Jedi Order when it was a whole order and everything. Like, were they basically going around kidnapping kids and turning them into Jedi? Yes. Or they're like, oh, right? So, like... Yeah. There's an extent to which it's like, maybe Grogu should just be a kid who, you know, okay, yeah, he should learn to some extent how to control his powers, because otherwise he he might accidentally do a bunch of bad stuff, you know. Um, But at the same time, it's like that doesn't necessarily have to define him, right? I mean, it's the most obvious thing somebody will notice after the fact that he's very small and green. And adorable, but like that doesn't have to be the sum total. I mean, like maybe this is a show where at the end, like Mando and Krogu just go live on Dagobah and chill, you know, like and probably eat frogs whole or something. I don't know, but no, they open a macaron shop. Yes, yeah. yes, better, much better. I-, I think you're both making a really good point there about the choice that he needs to make, and I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of last episode. Was Ahsoka really saying that? I think it's because of this, because Ahsoka has, at this point, incredibly mixed feelings about the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Um, And so saying that, like, Grogu will have to choose and that you can introduce him to another Jedi to let him choose, but he has to make that choice. Yeah. Um, it, It does. So we saw Grogu get up on that rock and, like, the the big light show happened. And obviously there's an energy thing enough to push Mando back, which he took a couple of tries for him to learn that, but he didn't seem to eventually yeah, learn yeah. that. Um, what, but we didn't have anything happen based on that. What do you, what do you think was going on there? And, and are we going to see someone answer that call late? Or do we think that's just because there's no one listening to the call anymore? Um, what was going on there? Well, I, I think someone has to come, but the question is who, right? Like there, we, we have a very limited cast of possible jedi or force sensitive survivors at this point and we know some who who just can't show up logistically right like luke skywalker cannot show up in the Mm -hmm. series it just wouldn't make any sense um maybe they'll introduce a new character and i was thinking about this I, i think if they do introduce a new character i think it would be like a dark jedi or a sith rather than you know one of the the light side folks so this is going to be a spoiler for the end of Clone, so, which Paul has not yet seen. He's going to take a quick break. Um, what if it's Ezra? Uh, I'm here I'm talking about Ezra Bridger, who is a Jedi character who's introduced in the TV show Rebels 
And as we talked about in our primer on Thrawn, he disappears at the end of Rebels deep into hyperspace with Grand Admiral Thrawn to, you know, because they're taken away by these space whales. And if it sounds crazy, I promise you it's very well done in the story. But so we know that um, if Thrawn is possibly back, do you think it's possible that Ezra's also back and that maybe that's the person who's going to get summoned by this? I, yeah, I'd consider that too. And it felt like too much. I think like Ahsoka yeah. is the light side force user we get in the show. And I just mm-hmm. don't want there to be too much going on. And that's why I theorize that it could be a new dark side character. I think that, I think that does make sense. I think Ezra's the only one I can think of other than Luke. And in both, yeah. ca- I think in both cases, it would sort of be too big for the story that we're trying to have. Um, as well as just, I mean, already I love the character of Ezra. I love the character of Kanan, but um, it already pushed the credit. A lot of the things in rebels push the credibility of, Luke is supposed to show up and no one's ever seen this for so long. Um, you know, given that we know that most of the early rebellion fighters have been fighting alongside Ezra for the last how many years before Luke shows up. Um, so yeah, I, 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 from a canonical perspective, I, I would rather they not keep pushing that, but I think it's one option that they might uh, explore doing. Uh, let me bring back, Paul right, bring, bring Paul back in. We can talk about, we can talk about the dark side some more. Because I think someone, someone previously suggested that they could uh, he could make contact with Snoke and or Palpatine, right? Mm, like a pre-Snoke. I don't know. So that's certainly one option. Um, Riki, though, you're saying that you might you think it might be a someone dark side connected who shows up. What, what are you going for in that regard? Well, there's some people who suggested that this could. I think it was you, Matthew, that it could tie into the post schools, and we might see like a Snoke type character introduced, mm-hmm. which is possible, but I just don't like that character period. <laughs> yeah. Or at least the way he was used. Maybe it would be better if we yeah. got a little more expanded knowledge about him. But I think just like a new character is fine. Like design some new dark character with a cape. Cause they all seem to love capes. Mm-hmm. G- Gideon. Okay. Gideon looks like as much of a Darth Vader fanboy as Kylo Ren, right? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, he does. He's got the cape. He's even got like a chest piece with some lights on it. So mm-hmm. I'm like, when? Yo, Moff Gideon, when are you going to get yourself a fancy mask? <laughs> I mean, if you're like, you know, an Empire person, right? Or like a dark side person. I mean, who are you going to look look up to more than Darth Vader? Like, what, you're going to try and be like Sidious? Be like, can I get some more wrinkles? Can you put some more wrinkles on me? Like, it seems, uh, it seems like the look. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities there. And I think, Riki, you captured it perfectly as to what I would want. I, I like the idea that what we're seeing here plants the seeds of what will become the first order and that early people who are trying to rebuild the empire futzing around with the force may in some way, like again, set the seeds that lead to Snoke or clone Palpatine or whatever it is. I don't want to see them on screen though. But I I mean, if you want a real tragedy, what if Palpatine's forces at the end of the show get, get their hands on Grogu and he is somehow like becomes Snoke or something, or like Gro- a clone. Grogu becomes Snoke. Yeah, or like a 
that no. genetic material oh, is no. used to create Snoke. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly that's my deepest fear, and like I'm just glad Scott Buck isn't directing the show because that would definitely be how it ended. <laughs> like, well, I think I think if the if the genetic material of Grogu is used and that somehow leads to Snoke, that to me isn't the worst thing. The idea of the cutest creature ever since an Ewok, and if not more so, becoming Snoke by turning to the dark side is just not a story I'm ready to watch. I don't know, like, I can't... Your, your heart can't handle that. Yeah. So there is another option. Um, there was a, there's a video game called um, Jedi Fallen Order that mm. took place in the pre-Yavin days, like a, maybe the same time around Rebels, maybe a little earlier than that. Um, and it features a Jedi who survives the Purge, uh, named, I think, Seer. And then she trains a young Force-sensitive person. Actually, he was a Padawan during the Purge who escaped. And then she ends up training him. He's the main character of the video game, um, Cal Kestis. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that this video game came out last year is considered canon. And so there is speculation of, like, finding ways to bring these characters into a movie or a TV show. I can see that. I can see that. The other possibility here is that, now we know that Moff Gideon was already tracking their ship, so that's certainly a big part of how Moff Gideon found them. Um, But Moff Gideon has also been very interested in matters having to do with the Force. And I, I don't, I don't, know enough about what's supposed to happen on Tython to know could a non-Jedi still kind of like monitor that radio channel to use a terrible metaphor like to be aware of if something's happening on Tython or does it would it only really be an actual Jedi or an actual force user who would get the signal it seemed like a force signal because there was it, it's not it was not no mechanical device right yeah I concur it, mm-hmm. it felt to me like something that somebody who is force sensitive might have a sense about it, right? Right. Like Ahsoka might be like, "Oh, okay, they got there." Right. Right. And somebody else might hear the call, basically. But that you know, you're not going to have like a tracking, uh, you know, a thing that's like, "Oh, uh, we're getting some, uh, you know, s- mm-hmm. <laughs> some chatter on uh, the uh, Tython channel." Yeah. Which does lead to me what is becoming my biggest concern about all the Grogu storyline. And I maybe you all can talk me down on this cliff, or maybe you're on the, in the same <laughs> feeling. Um, you know, we talked before that one of the things we liked about this show so much, or at least that I liked about the show so much, is that it's about events that are happening below the radar screen. You know, why would Luke care that? You know, why why would Luke or Leia or Han or any or Mon Mothma, any of the people putting together the New Republic, why would they care about what one lone bounty hunter is doing and these little squabbles against little groups of the Empire, etc. But we now have both a former Jedi and now a member of the New Republic in the scene with Cara Dune, both of whom are becoming aware of the existence of Grogu and and the importance of the story that's happening and the idea that the Empire does. And I feel like at some point, I agree with you, I don't want Luke or Leia or any of them to show up, but I do feel like at some point I'm going to need someone to tell me what is Luke actually doing in terms of looking for Force-sensitive people? And is he in any way aware of what's happening with Grogu? Or does he become aware of it? And if not, why not? Um, is that is that something that's becoming more of an issue for either of you guys? Or is this just my own little um, paranoid flight of fancy story-wise? 
for me, I feel like, so I, I, I don't quite share the same opinion uh, after, after, in terms of Luke, like after seeing um, Sebastian Stan next to a young Mark Hamill, uh-huh. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, you can, you can have Luke show up. Uh, it, you know, it's not his story. Right. So you have to be very careful in terms of how that character or Leia uh, can appear, right? That that it doesn't. It's difficult when you're taking a character who's like so large, right? And then putting them in something else as like a cameo. I think you know. I, I think we felt that with Ahsoka as well, right? Where it was mm-hmm. like, I love Ahsoka being on screen. I love her being in the story, but it also feels a little bit like. Where, where'd she go? Like, why, why isn't she in all the episodes? And, you know, they kind of had sort of an explanation for that. But with, I think up until this point, it's made plenty of sense that just not a lot of people know about Grogu, right? Some people do, but not a lot. And not a lot of people know about the remnants of the Empire, that they are as uh, coordinated and as strong as they are right now, right? And Ahsoka's clearly tracking down thrawn right and i think most people don't know about gideon but now they do right now they at least know about gideon right and they know that he's trying to capture a force user and like yes it seems like that's something that the new republic would definitely be interested in but they but you know dune is like just barely in the new republic like she just joined right so like, does she? Does Mando say, "Hey, maybe don't tell anyone anything about Grogu. Just help me out here." It's a little sort of like, eh, I don't know. But at the same time, I can kind of buy it, mm-hmm. and I, I can certainly buy that up until this point, it's gone this way. But I do feel like the story is heading on a track that it will be very difficult to not have it become like an Empire versus the New Republic on a big stage kind of thing. Yeah, it's it is getting a little too big. I agree, um, and too connected. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's going to keep going in that direction and just become that show, which I would would feel a little disappointing. I think I've enjoyed the side questy, like out out in the outer rim, like doing important stuff, but not of galactic histori- historical importance. Um. But yeah, we're heading towards there. Like, Gideon's got too much stuff going on at this point, especially if he is working for or with Grand Admiral Thrawn. Right. No matter what, like, Thrawn is a galactic level threat. Yeah. Whatever he's been up yeah. to. And I think that's kind of what I'm thinking is maybe you're right, Paul, and maybe the, you know, Stan Sebastian as Luke showing up would, would work. I, ha- I have my serious doubts, but but possibly. And again, maybe that's leading to some other movie, although I really don't want more Luke in, in new movies. I want new new characters, new content. Um, I, I think I just want some acknowledgement in the universe. You know, it could be something as simple as Cara Dune, like, perking up and saying, you know, oh, yeah, actually, we were given a directive to if we ever hear about any Force-sensitive, you know, stuff to let people know. And then Mando's like, no, 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 don't tell anybody, you know, right. or um, her saying, like, yeah, I'm going to join you because, like, I've been told this is a big thing. Or, like, we heard from, you know, one of the people back on Coruscant that they're very interested in this. Like, mm-hmm. or even just, you know, yeah, the folks in Coruscant say to, like, check it out if I can, but they're so busy with other stuff. Like, just some acknowledgement that 
the numerous force users we now are finding running around is the kind of thing that once that information gets plugged into the more, you know, I just want to know what the hell Luke is doing at this time, you know, and it, 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 it kind of goes back to the thing I think that has been a frustration to me throughout this is we don't have any, it's the same problem I had about the time after the Clone Wars before the, the pre, the original movies. We don't have any understanding of who knows what, you know, is Luke Skywalker a hero throughout the galaxy? Has no one ever heard of him? Is Anakin, right. you know, what, who, and he, I think on the one hand, I would have thought that no one knows anything. Until I saw that, I think, Ricky, you pointed this out, in the tiny little town that is off the map because everyone's forgotten about it in Tatooine, even they watched the second Death Star blow up, you know? So yeah, yeah. some level of, of history keeping is happening here. So mm-hmm. not a huge deal, but I definitely am curious to, to see where they go with that. Uh, but beyond that, what are your now Moff Gideon has Grogu in his power and is threatening him with the Darksaber and making sure he's not going to put an eye out, which... I thought it was a hilariously funny line. Um, wh- where do you think we're going to go with this in the last couple episodes we have this season? Uh, I think I think we're going to go to a showdown. So at the end of this episode, they were talking about breaking someone out of prison, right? Yeah. What was that character? Because I, I just kind of missed it. I think that's the what Bill Burr character or something. It's Mayfield. He was one of the people involved in the... the yeah, oh, yeah, Mayfield. Yeah. The prison break, the whole right? Again. Yeah. I mean, he's some sort of criminal, right? Who who knows how to get in and out of places and, and knows um, things about different facilities or whatever. And so he's someone that Mando thinks he needs to have on his team for doing something like this. Right. Uh, you know, he already has Fennec and Boba Fett and... I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of these, like what, what I kind of anticipate is we get a showdown between, you know, the sort of plucky team of, um, you know, Mando and company against Moff Gideon and whoever else. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's when like a Jedi shows up or a dark Jedi or Mm -hmm. whatever, somebody who answered the call and can sense where Grogu is. Right, I I think that would be sort of plausible. I can right? see that. Kind of in in those sort of like Luke Leia like she's like, oh, we have to go back, you know, right. something along those lines. And I feel like it's going to be more than just a like one side versus the other side kind of you know rescue mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I hope it goes well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's all I can say. I can certainly see. Maybe maybe that it's that there are some folks from the New Republic who are like, oh, cool, Grogu. Yes, we need to take that new Force user back to Coruscant and you know introduce him to Luke or whatever. In all the ways that you know, and Mando's like, no, f this. Me and my kid are going to go off and do our own thing because it sounds horrible. Exactly. Um, yeah. Like, I also kind of um, I want to watch Appa blow up a, a Tie Fighter. Like I really just want for that sure. scene so much. No, that's that has to happen. That... For anyone who hasn't seen, we're talking. <laughs> we, we um, the what's the actor's name? Paul Sun Hyun Kim. Yeah, thank you. Uh, he... Sorry, Paul Sun Hyun Lee. Jeez, I always do that because he plays Mr. Kim. Yeah. Um, on Kim's Convenience. Fantastic show. Um, but yeah, he, he's been the um, the X-wing traffic cop that we've seen a couple times. Um, so it would be fun to see him show up at the ending. I'm definitely very worried. I, I I didn't think that uh, Gideon was actually going to get his hands on Grogu. And 
I feel like we've established that Grogu doesn't quite have the force power to fight his way out. Like he can, you know, smash the two soldiers together in what was a hilarious scene. But I, it feels like at this point, Gideon is going to have the genetic material that he wants. And I'm really curious and kind of nervous to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I feel like he's going to get that and Grogu is going to have to somehow survive because otherwise... The show's I over. I want to watch the show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. The like, just... Yeah, no, it's just, like, you just, like, you just can't do that. Um, but, yeah, I do feel like the New Republic, um, Captain Carson Teva uh, and, and you know, Cara Dune are, are going to get involved. And, um, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that happens. But I, I think pretty clearly uh, they're going to have, because they got some material out of him, right, mm-hmm. before it sounded like. And... They'll probably get some more. And we were talking about whether the show could work as, you know, without Grogu in it. And I was like, no. I mean, it can't work for me. Yeah. You know, at this point, he's been in every single episode, right? Barely in the first episode of of the, the show, of season one. But he's been in every episode besides that. And, you know, the the Empire, Remnants of the Empire, had him for like an episode or so. And I figured at some point he would probably get captured or he would be like left with a Jedi for a couple episodes and you'd see kind of the sort of like Dagobah type scenes that are, you know, cut back and forth kind of thing. But I mean, I, I just feel like you can't take that character out of the show and have it still be the show that I want to watch anymore. Yeah, it turns out like it's called The Mandalorian, but it's really, you know, like I was saying, some people love it for the 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 dad drama and that's Mm -hmm. become what the show is about yeah yeah i mean especially because mando is a character who you know he's a warrior weapons are a part of his religion we never see his face he's always in armor Mm -hmm. i feel like his connection to grogu really humanizes him in a way that is so mm-hmm. needed, you know, provides that like the cute, the cute little scenes of him like playing with his son, basically for all intents and purposes, and teaching him, yeah, encouraging him to use the force powers. You need mm-hmm. that to back up all the him as a warrior stuff. And without that, I'm not sure where it would go. Yeah, and so so touching at the end of this episode, even though it's incomprehensible that it would survive a and b that he would be able to find it, but when he finds the silver sphere. They oh, probably yeah. loves playing with. It's just like, oh no, my heart. Yeah. It I mean he must have a control ball made of Beskar or something, right? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, oh that thing. The was only Beskar. part of the ship that's made out of Beskar. Exactly. Well so speaking well, he had of the spear which, too, yeah. Since yeah. we basically now have Chekhov's Beskar spear, um, who is that spear gonna <laughs> kill? Because I figure that's that spear has to oh. be used to kill someone significant. Right. Is it Moff Gideon? I, I like the character enough that I'm not sure I want to lose him this season, but I feel like that spear has to have a very significant role in the finale somehow. I think it's I think it's Gideon. Yeah. The way I, I think so too. the way I'm in my head guessing how this season ends is we're gonna get some build up of, you know, Mandalorian's eleven, where he goes around collecting his crew again, like breaking this guy <laughs> right. out of prison. Right. You know, you yeah, gotta yeah. call up Bo Katan, call mm-hmm. up Ahsoka, you know, they're doing their things with if you tell Ahsoka um, Gideon got Grogu, I, I think she's got to come, right? And if you tell Bo-Katan, yeah. I'm fighting Gideon, she'd be like, oh, wait, you're fighting Gideon? Hang on. And he's got the Darksaber. That should be yours. Yeah. Wait, do, do they 
do they know all that though? No, that no that one Gideon's ever talks alive to each other. and that he has the dark saber. I don't well, think that. I don't think they talk. No, because I don't think. I don't think. Um, I don't think any of them know. No, they, uh, know. they thought he died right in the Tie Fighter. They do know, but how do they know? In the siege, they had that video recording where the scientist was reporting to Gideon, oh, and they're right, like, right. "Oh, he's dead!" Like, no, this was three days ago. Yeah, right. But he doesn't know about the dark saber. Uh, or like even necessarily what it is, right? No. I think that's correct. Oh, because he, he does? did he only use it to break to out of the Tie himself. Fighter? Yes. yes. Okay. And he thought he died in the Tie Fighter, so obviously yeah, he didn't see, he didn't see that. that. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Grogu so, knows. Yeah. Grogu knows. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of mystery there. <laughs> that, that that would be the like the best like first words. Dark saber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we do try to keep the episode, uh, the review episode, about as long as the actual episode of the show. We've now um, pissed the, uh, we've now passed the double it mark. <laughs> um, so I want to start wrapping up. Is there any other kind of last things, though, folks want to comment on? I got a thing. Go I got for a, it. I got I a, a correction, yeah. Matthew, that I need to make. Okay. Uh, you sure. keep mentioning Coruscant, uh, which it was the capital of the Empire, it was the capital of the Old Republic. Apparently, and this came up um, in in the episode Siege, the protocol droid in that school was talking about the planet Chandrilla as the capital of the New Republic. Oh, interesting. Uh, Which is the home planet of Mon Mothma. So that makes sense if she was the first head Uh of state that they would Mm -hmm. put the government there. I know that in The Force Awakens, we see an entire star system be blown up by um, the planet killer. Is that the one that it is, or is it... Because I know it's not Coruscant, and there's some other planet that get that gets blown up. I wonder if it's that same one. I I do not believe that they name the planet or the star system that is destroyed. By okay. The, don't don't they say like the core systems or something like? I yeah, think so, that yeah. It's like that laser was like a sentient laser that broke apart at the end and like destroyed several things. Yeah, not not my favorite part of the I Star mean, Wars you know, universe. We have missiles now with MIRVs, multiple uh uh multiple reentry vehicles at the top of our missiles, so it's 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 possible, but yeah, not the not not that I generally try to question the science of Star Wars technology, but that did seem a little strange for sure. Well, for me it was just that they wanted to like hand wave like get rid of the new republic, which I was like, "Really?" Like yeah. or the, you know, I don't know. <clears throat> anyway we'll get to a discussion of those movies um for sure paul what was your thing um so i had two things um both of what one which i thought made some sense but was a little frustrating and the other one which uh was kind of my biggest kind of caveat to really loving this episode like pick up your jetpack. Yes. like <laughs> you have to get to the top of the hill as fast as you can, pick up your jetpack. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It was just absurd not doing it. Like, give me something better than that if you need to take the jetpack out of, out of you know, the rotation, basically. Like, okay, oh, it's out of fuel or whatever. Like, it was just <laughs> having him, like, be like, yeah, exactly. It was just like, I was like, oh, come on. Like, I understand this episode works better without him having a jetpack. I get it. Right. And I can appreciate that, but give me a better reason that he doesn't have it than that. He put it down. I was like, eh, I'll get it later. Um, that was the one thing that like really bothered me. And you know, them then being able to capture Grogu basically because of that is like, 
nothing better happened to that child. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, that's my number one rule. If you do something that really is contrived and doesn't make any sense, if it's funny and it leads to this or this showdown, fine. Okay, we'll allow it. But, like, if it leads to, like, the death or, like, something really horrible happening to a character I care about, we're done. Yeah. So... <laughs> So that was one thing. And then the other one was like Mando trying to get Grogu to stop doing his force thing. Mm -hmm. I was just like, say his name. Like, you know, I mean, first it's like talking to someone while they're meditating always works. Right. But like, then he was just like, come on, kid, we got to go. It's like, say Grogu. Mm -hmm. Like you already had this moment earlier where he responded to you when you said Grogu in a way that he hadn't responded earlier, right? So, like, use his name. And maybe it still wouldn't work because he's super, in, in, you know, in a trance and he's, he's whatever's going on. You know, and then, like, the timing of Grogu being done with this thing felt, like, contrived and annoying. It was, like, just perfectly timed for, you know, Mando to have just left him and gone down to, to try and fight against the stormtroopers. Um, you know, so there were some contrivances that I found very frustrating during the episode, given the fact that they didn't kill anyone off. Okay, they blew up the Razor Crest, fine. Mm-hmm. And that didn't feel contrived, because like, yeah, okay, spa- lasers from space, okay, you can, yeah, you can blow up a ship. You've got a, I guess it's not a, it's a light cruiser, right? It's not like a Star Destroyer, but still, yeah. I'll buy it. Um, that's fine. But like, you're not allowed to kill off any characters if you have these kind of contrivances. Those are the rules. I've just got to. I just got to lay them out. <laughs> I, I appreciate you laying out those rules for us. I. Yeah. I, I will. Oh, go ahead, Ricky. Well, I was just going to comment on the light cruiser. I believe is the kind of the same model that they introduce and utilized a lot of the time in Rebels, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, I the Star Destroyer is too big. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. There's there's a lot of things that I've been. I mean, I've been watching Rebels while watching season two of um of mandalorian and you know there's the blurg that show up i think for the first time there i don't remember them being in clone wars um they and they're obviously in season on one screen of mando, in the new in the um revised version of a new hope but they're never like mentioned or discussed at all okay okay so they're on tatooine and, but like uh it, it just feels like there's a lot of continuity between rebels and mandalorian and i really enjoy that definitely yeah i think mandalorian um, is very clearly i mean it's it's you know, Dave Filoni is very involved, and it's yes. very much uh, paying homage to both Clone Wars and Rebels. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I will say... Paying homage to the series that he made himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, the one thing I will also say about The Hill, and I, granted, I'm I'm just sort of at the end of my rope with the side questiness of it, and thank God this episode mm-hmm. wasn't. But when they mm-hmm. showed him, like, saying, oh, I can't land at the top of the hill, I'm going to have to land at the bottom, I wrote mm-hmm. in my notes... I will be so pissed if this entire episode is him getting up the hill. Like, oh, because <laughs> I just figured like Bobo would stop him or someone else would happen like that. The whole episode would just be about his str- and at the very end of the episode would be like putting, you know, Grogu on that rock. And it just didn't work. Right, right. And so when they just like, yeah, next scene, they're at the top of the rock. I was like, yes. Perfect. Right. You're like, okay, okay cool. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. So thanks, folks. And we had a lot to say. Um. Uh, fans, we would love to hear from you, and I'm going to say a word about that in a moment. But first of all, um, Paul, I know you've been working on a new project you want to tell folks about. Yeah, um, I'm basically doing a bunch of streaming and some videos, uh, mostly about poker and chess at the moment, some language stuff, and all all kind of centered around sort of learning, uh, teaching ourselves things. And you, all of those are under my sort of pseudonym, Zen Madman, and you can find me on Twitch and YouTube under those aliases 
or that one alias, I guess. Alei, I wanted to say, but that's I don't, I don't think that's a word. Awesome. Yeah, no, they're definitely a lot of fun to check out. Paul's got a lot of great theories about how we learn uh, and has been talking a lot about that in terms of both how we learn uh, learning chess and learning poker, but also some great lessons uh, for other things. Um, he's had some fantastic guests on, especially for some of the chess videos. I would definitely <laughs> check that out. Um, one of them. Matthew's been my only guest yeah, so exactly. far. <laughs> um, uh, Ricky, what about yourself? Uh, are there ways folks can uh, check out what you're up to these days? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MTG Wikipedia, where I tweet about Magic the Gathering, Pokemon Go, Star Wars, and racism, I guess. Yeah. The topics I cover. (laughs) Cool. So great. Thank you both. And to our fans, we'd love to know what you thought. Um, Is this one of your favorite episodes? What what did you want out of getting Boba back? And how did this match that? Um, How excited were you to have um, Fennec back? some of the other characters we got introduced to. What do you think is going to happen with Grogu? What do you think about our theories? And are we totally wrong? Uh, all the ways to contact us, if you go to strandedpanda.com and then click on Star Wars Universe Podcast, you can find everything there. Um, as we mentioned, we've also just put out an episode that's a primer on Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, a lot of cool things to talk about there. Riki and I did that to kind of bring you up to speed on why is it that so many of us went utterly crazy when we heard that, that name get mentioned? Uh, we're going to be doing another one soon about Ahsoka and the um, Mandalorian history. Those might be the same episode. They might be separate ones because they're very intertwined, but they may, we may also separate them some. So a lot of great things. And honestly, the best thing you can do to help us right now is write us a review. Um, the more reviews we get, the more the higher we show up in people's search engines, the more people get to join this conversation, start listening to this podcast, and start getting a part of all of it. So... Please leave a review for us. Five stars, I hope. But if not, certainly let us know what we can do to, to be better. Thank you so much to um, Paul and Ricky, and on behalf of myself and all of them, thank you all. Have a great day. Mm-hmm.